right, here we go. Welcome to another episode of the Non-Victim Nation podcast. I am joined today by Richard Bates, who is the founder of the STS Group. And at the risk of not saying it incorrectly, I'm going to have you say what that means. Stands for uh, Soro Training and Solutions Group. Okay. Um, and so not only that, but you are currently law enforcement? Yes. Uh, okay. About 18 years. Okay. Um, and so just like the little bit of research that I did, like looking at the website and, and learning a little bit more about you, you have like pretty extensive background. Uh, did you get into some of that? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, a little bit. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but the very last thing at the bottom of my bio is I'd like to say that resume does not make a teacher. So right, right. I've had the, the opportunity, I guess you could call it, or um, blessing or whatever, whatever word you choose to use, to have a lot of experience. I've done a lot of things throughout my career. Mm -hmm. um, both before I was in law enforcement, uh, traveling around doing martial arts, going to the Philippines, studying Filipino martial arts, learning a couple languages, coming back. Um, in my law enforcement career, I um, started about 18 years ago, about a year on right off FTO. I got picked up to go help out gangs do a, a special project for about six months. So I got TDY to there for about half of my shift each each week. I went from that. I did two martial task force shortly after, worked heavily with our um, street crimes unit, uh, giving them uh, work to do. Okay. To put it that way. And then um, uh, after that, I got started running search warrants, went into, got picked up on narcs right about three years in. So I did undercover narcotics for a while, um, which isn't what was my career goal. Mm -hmm. uh, the undercover narcotics was more of a footstep to get into playing close street crimes. While I worked undercover narcotics, I bought dope, I sold dope, I did fugitive apprehensions a little bit at the time, the way it was, the dynamic was organized. Uh, one of three people that worked as an undercover hitman, so I got hired to kill some witnesses that the guy was in jail. Nice. Um, that actually, that was actually a really nice case because there's only, at that time, there were doing three people total in the entire department that ever done anything like that. And mm -hmm. Being asked to do that was um, a big responsibility and a big big honor and the successful completion of it the guy got like 40 years on a plea so mm -hmm. um, that worked out pretty good i went from there to, to street crimes which was just plain clothes high enforcement uh, apprehensions uh, we worked with our community uh, criminal investigations unit uh they'd come up with the suspect identify armed robber guy uh, ag assault guy say hey go find him bring him in burglary suspects felonies other than like our high violence potential that the our violent offender unit would go for mm -hmm. Um, anything below that we would do. So getting into street crimes, went through SWAT school, got basic SWAT operator certified, went through a couple other um, undercover schools, some tactics schools, some plainclothes schools, some rescues, so just a bunch of different schools on right. on tactics related to plainclothes operations. Uh, took over the training role for my unit, so conducted our, our trainings for vehicle operations, high-risk vehicle stops, our surveillance trainings, our firearms training. And we ended up getting AZ Post certified as a firearms instructor. So I was handling all that for street crimes for our unit and putting together groundwork for how we would keep doing things um, mm -hmm. in that time. And then family takes precedence. So I left right. street crimes after about six years of that and went back to patrol and had a steady schedule. Okay. Uh, the wife comes in and goes, hey, you need to be home. This is never home. Right. And in a fallout type street crimes unit. And best decision I ever made was putting family first. And... Uh, as a result, my oldest kid's now a cop too. So I guess it's either a success or a failure, depending on the way you look at it. Right. <laughs> um, but, uh, and then everybody else is doing great. So that was kind of my background in that field. And then my, as I got older and 
more mature, I guess, in law enforcement, my primary focus started to turn towards patrol operations and that I firmly believe the patrol officer has the highest training need and skill set need out of anybody in the agency because they're the first responders. Okay. Um, the patrol is typically not given or allocated the resources to have that training schedule, training program, training um, regiment to mm -hmm. maintain those high levels of skills. It's usually allocated to our specialty units. Special units get the time paid to go train, get the opportunity to go to different schools, get different conferences. SWAT teams spend most of their week training for call-outs. Patrolmen, whatever the, here's your quarterly qual, some trainings in between. Um, good luck, you know, when that active shooter yeah. comes out and, uh, right. you know, it's a patrol that gets ambushed. It's a patrol that responds to the active shooter, the violent crimes in progress, the armed robberies in progress. Mm -hmm. Everybody else kind of shows up after patrols either settled it down or right. um, contained it. So, mm -hmm. so now I push heavily to make sure patrol guys are guys that are on front line. Mm -hmm. um, get as much training as they can. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this in, in other episodes too, about like the the amount of training that an average officer gets versus what they probably should have. Yeah. There's there's quite a delta there's between a, the two. There's a huge gap Yeah, in what you think you should have, what would be ideal versus what realistically occurs. And, you know, I get it. There's a whole bunch of logistics. You can't take you know, a thousand patrol guys and put them through the same training schedule as your smaller SWAT team or whatnot, where, mm -hmm. you know, you can miss them for two days for training, take half your patrol force and they're gone for two weeks, out, two days out of the week training. You know, who's, who's responding to calls for service. Right. Um, but I still think there should be a movement or a, a push to provide more training time during their work shift, mm -hmm. either through small, like a la carte type classes or, or trainings and then bulk put them together. Kind so of. how much of that do you think is a limitation of they just don't have enough people versus they're just not willing to put the budget forward to like make sure that it happens? That's well, that's, that's above my pay grade. I'm not an administrator, mm -hmm. uh, but I think a lot of it has to do with, unfortunately, a lot of our patrol guys aren't interested in training. Just okay. show up and I'm done. You know, let me go check my calls and go home. Uh, those that are are faced with the budgetary restraints and mm -hmm. then the logistical restraints of providing that training. So it's mm -hmm. kind of a, a multifaceted. And oftentimes you're told, well, nobody wants to take, no one will go to that training. We'll, we'll host a class. Mm -hmm. Everybody show up and you, nobody shows up. So they feel like, right. Why are we even offering it if nobody does show up kind of thing? So I was just thinking it'd be interesting if they could like, if they had like a surplus of like an extra 20% of personnel that they can rotate in and out. That way they're not taking people off of the street. And that way it, it, that it is part of their, for these two days out of the week, this is your time that you're getting trained. The, the, the time that you learn to, to deal with all of the things that are probably going to come at you. Yeah. I think, um, well, I, right now I don't think it's ever going to happen. Most agencies are severely short staffed as is. Right. Um, I'd be happy with just half a shift a week. Mm -hmm. Your, your Monday, on your whatever night day falls on the week, hey, your first five hours out of a ten hour shift is you're gonna go train. Right. And then apply it for the week and the next week we'll build on it or we'll we'll you know, mm -hmm. approach another subject or topic. Right. I think that's that's pretty feasible because during that five hours you can take one squad at a time and then everybody's will just backfill. As it gets busy, it gets busy. We're short staffed anyways. Mm -hmm. But it's not for at least it doesn't make everybody feel like 
well, they're all training and they're not here shagging calls. Right. Yeah. Kind of thing. So that makes sense. So that background, to get back to the original yep, question, that's okay. so kind of circled around here. Um, it drove me to initially create a group called uh, BFTM Group. So mm-hmm. it's there's visages of out there floating around in the interwebs. Um, it was boys from the mountain. It was just a group of guys. The idea was to gather like-minded individuals, work on self-reliance skills. Mm-hmm. Whether it's firearms, whether it's survival, whether it's uh, food storage, canning, um, skill sets that are help you drive towards a more self-reliant mindset. Mm-hmm. While I was doing that, I found I really liked teaching and teaching some of putting these on and these hosting these little group events and you know teaching. I really enjoy it. Right. I taught martial arts before I became a cop. In fact, the funny story is, is everybody thought I was going to open up a school, a dojo. When I returned um, from the Philippines, I decided not to um, and pursue law enforcement instead. The um, So I've taught before. But when it came to these kind of skills, it just seemed more it clicked with me. I just mm-hmm. really enjoyed watching somebody who's never touched a gun, for example. Right. And who's maybe apprehensive or understanding the complexities of interpersonal human aggression. Okay. Um, which is quite, quite frequent. There's not a lot of people that have been confronted by somebody who wants to hurt them, not just angry at them, or wants to hurt them. Like people get shy or, or, or um, shy away from somebody being angry at them. Very few people have experienced somebody who's trying to actually cause you harm in a way that's detrimental mm-hmm. not just shove you out of it but i'm going to hurt you and either you're going to die from it or you're going to be permanently physically disabled from it right um so watching somebody understand that random violence happens mm-hmm. and being prepared to deal with it the confidence boost so something i've discovered is the more confident somebody is in their skill sets the more relaxed or cool-headed they are when faced with a critical stress incident decision-making becomes easier, skill performance becomes better because the higher level of skill allows you to calm, keep maintain cool-headedness and apply what needs to be applied to the problem-solving of the of the event as it's unfolding. So seeing somebody who's never touched a firearm to somebody who can make hits under a complex interleave drill mm-hmm. that requires cognitive problem-solving and successfully do so is probably the greatest thing I've ever seen. Like, I love seeing that. My, there's nothing greater for me than seeing a student succeed. Right. Because I tell them all the time, look, I can't go fight your gunfight for you. Right. I'm not going to be there. Um, and the police, some would love to be there, um, but they can't. Like, we can't be everywhere at once. Mm-hmm. Very rarely and does an officer have the opportunity to stop a violent crime at the precipice of its beginning. Mm-hmm. Very more frequently, they just show up to clean up and document what happened. Um, occasionally, you get lucky enough. I've been fortunate enough to stop violence in the middle of it happening. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, homicides and, and robberies. But that's so rare. It doesn't doesn't occur. So you are, in fact, your own first responder. Right. Um, and the other side of that is the day chooses you. So yes. you and I, we're not out looking for trouble. We're not trying to cause violence critical stress we're not hey i'm gonna go pick a fight with that guy today because you know his beard isn't as cool as mine Uh, and i I say that facetiously right but like people's threshold for when they're going to use deadly violence against another person Uh 
is not the same as somebody who isn't out looking for trouble. You right. and I would look at it and go, well, he has to meet these key requirements. It's an imminent threat to my physical safety. If I don't stop him right now, I'm going to die or somebody I care about is going to die. Right. Like, these are the thresholds we apply to ourselves. A vast majority of our population that's out there is mm -hmm. you just looked at me sideways, so I'm going to stab you to death. Yeah. Um, so not having you know that level of preparedness and being at that point. So I love being able to help people prepare themselves for those moments that they cannot avoid. Right. Because we avoid all, we win 100% of the fights we avoid. Mm -hmm. um, we train and prepare for the ones we can't. Right. So that, sorry. Yeah. So I was going to say, so like when you came back from the Philippines and then you had that potential to open a school. So what was it that, were you just, was it just kind of a calling that you felt like you needed to be in law enforcement that took you more that direction? Yes. So I came back from the Philippines right after 9-11. So I was, okay. I was in the Philippines from 1997 to 2002. Um, it's five years, right? Mm -hmm. Just shy of five years because it wasn't all of 2002. But 9-11 is what drove me back. I was actually going to stay in the Philippines, open up a school, do some teaching there, and then fly back and spend about five to ten years over there rather than the minimum of five years. I ended up staying there. 9-11 drove me back. Okay. Went back, um, started going to school. Uh, I got a job doing um, transports around the country. I got would go fly, pick somebody up. They either flew or they drove to a like a rehabilitation center. Mm -hmm. Had an incident in Chicago with Chicago PD, and the Chicago officer goes, "You know what? You should come apply and be a Chicago cop. That'd be great." Mm -hmm. Now that guy wasn't the greatest amb ambassador for Chicago because he was um, huge. Just add. Okay. And his light-colored shirt was absolutely covered in whatever the Philly cheesesteak he just finished eating. And he's talking to me, going, "You should come be a well, I can't do a Chicago accent, but right, a cop. You know, there's police officers and there's cops. You come be a cop." I'm like, but they put the seed in my head, so I started thinking about it and looking into it. And then uh, what did it was a conversation with somebody. I had I was having a conversation with somebody. We we're doing some training and. Time, the conversation of bullies and fistfights came up. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was like, you're right. You know, I don't like bullies. And I'm not afraid of a fistfight. I should go be a cop. And so I went, and be, went and became a cop. There you go. And um, funny story, the very first interview I had with the police department, they asked me why I wanted to be a cop. And this is not the correct answer. I don't like bullies. I'm not afraid of a fistfight because I did not get hired on that interview. <laughs> I said, okay. yeah, thanks for coming. Have a nice day. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, that was the reason. I don't, I don't like bullies. I don't like the, the there's there's members of our community that cannot protect themselves. Children, right. elderly, infirmed, um, and then aware. And that doesn't give somebody who's stronger, more capable, the right to go mm -hmm. and take. Mm -hmm. um, there has to be some level of order between the chaos or we devolve into might is right. And I had a conversation with a really skinny anarchist once who told me, I want no law, you know, might is right, you know, no, no government. I go, you don't want that, bro. Correct. Right. What do you mean? I go, mind you, he's, he's 110 pounds, five foot, kinky side. He's a skinny little guy. Um, he goes, why not? I want that. I don't want anybody. I go, no, because uh, guys like me will take everything from guys like you. There's, if there's no law. And there's nothing you can do about it because there's nothing you can do. Right. Thought about that for a minute. 
Makes sense. Yeah. So there should be some line between order and chaos. Yeah. Um, I'm not a big government fan, but I am a big fan of order, a, a distinction between order and chaos and the weak being protected from those that can prey upon them. Uh, and that's what drove me to law enforcement. Mm -hmm. And then later into training. Yeah. So. I, uh, I have to admit that when I was, and this is not a shock to anybody, that when, like most kids, when I was a teenager, I was a fucking idiot. You know, there was a time when I thought anarchy was the solution for everything. You know, that that was a great way because the government seemed corrupt and, you know, that if we had no government, that somehow that would be better. And I had um, one teacher in particular um, who was, he was really intelligent and well-spoken. And I had him for a couple different classes and he, um, and I, he was one of the teachers that I, I respected quite a bit. And like, he kind of cornered me one day and said, so what is all that about? And I kind of gave my little thing on it. And he's like, so do you understand that that, what that means though? Right. And he broke it down in a way that made a completely different type of sense to me so that I understood that this is, I knew that like in, in my own heart that I didn't really think that that was the solution. I was just being rebellious and stupid. Right. But to have it explained to me in a, in a light, you know, it's like, what that means is that there is absolutely no law, no anything, right? It's everything, everything's up for grabs and the, and the strongest will, you know, overpower everybody else. Um, you know, once I kind of put it into that context and thought about it a little bit, it's like I stopped that whole idea. And when I was 17, I actually joined the army. Oh, so I mean, <laughs> I did a totally complete did. turn, you know, about like where, where my head was and, and what the reality of, of how things should be. And doing things that are right versus things that just seem like fun for the moment. I like that you keyed in on that. Something yeah. I like to say is just do what's right. Mm -hmm. Like I tell new cops, do the right thing. There's policy. There's there's laws. We're not. I don't like the term law enforcement officer. Mm -hmm. I'm not there to enforce laws. I'm there to provide a consequence for a decision, but more importantly, there to maintain peace. I like peacekeeper. Peacekeeping. Right. Like, hey, what can we do to resolve the situation that works in everybody's favor? What's the right thing to do? If that does mean going to jail and facing the consequence for a decision, mm -hmm. then you have to go do that. That's just, you made the decision, you did the act. I'm just the consequence. Right. Um, but if it's, if it, if the others, if the solution is I can give you a ride somewhere to get some help, I'm going to do that. Mm -hmm. If I can, and a lot of people will accept it. A same token, a lot of people will be like, I don't want your help. Still offer it either way because right. I, I think the, the idea is just doing the right thing. What was what would my community want in this scenario? What would they what do they expect of me to do? And how do I best fulfill that while still maintaining my oath? Mm -hmm. So that I, I like that you hit on. Just, yeah. just do the right thing. Right. It's easier said than done for some. Yeah, it is. Um, but I think that it's important for people to have that, just like you're saying, to make that distinction for themselves and understand that there is a whole list of, of laws and rules and things that we're all supposed to follow all the time. Okay. And you do that to the best of your ability, but sometimes, you know, you just need to get shit done. Um, and I'm not saying that you violate laws or that you break laws, not that kind of thing. I'm just saying that like, you don't always have to adhere to every, everything to the letter. Right. If there's a better way to be doing it. Letter you know? of the law versus spirit of the law. Yeah. Because, you know, sometimes the lesson is learned. Mm -hmm. And through the experience and not through the, the consequence. Um, I was a young kid, with, did some, I got in foot pursuit with China police. They chased me through a neighborhood, didn't catch me. Uh, Mesa PD honed me out six patrol cars in an air unit. 
Um, I got into, I've been in a lot of street fights and got the, I've been stabbed. I've been cut with the machete. I've been shot at. And I had lots of broken teeth. Okay. Um, but I became a cop. Yeah. <laughs> and so the important thing to remember is what's the right thing to do? Mm-hmm. And I had some good officers do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Point you in the right direction. You should go do that. You should be putting into this. Your energy should go here. Right. Join this. So I did archery club. I did. Um, I got into martial arts heavily. Started fighting. I, my picture was in the newspaper in 1996 for uh, doing martial arts outside of Chandler Gilbert Community College and, and running an organization that did uh, sparring matches on Saturdays. So, nice. Back when the internet was fledgling, they pre-Google, so dating myself, right? You know, right. obviously the white hair, but um, using bulletin board systems to organize different styles, different practitioners of martial arts to get together mm-hmm. and share ideas and then to work through that through sparring. Right. Uh, there's a scene in The Matrix, which are like, it's the, I don't remember which one it was. They all kind of blend together, but he goes, you don't really truly know somebody until you fight them. Okay. And uh, so sparring people is how you really get into the second one. So when you spar with somebody or you fight, not like trying to kill each other, but you spar, you're exchanging ideas. Like, hey, your system's cool. I really like Hapkido or your system's cool. I like, you know, jujitsu or I like judo or I like uh, Aikido, any of those. And you start to realize that really just boils down to one human being against another human being. There's only a handful of ways you can truly hurt me. Let's understand that together and how do we better protect ourselves when Mm -hmm. somebody does want to inflict their will upon us without our permission right so i was just thinking about something as far as like the martial arts training that you've had which seems like it was pretty extensive to go from to take that into law enforcement there's like a i don't know if this is the correct term or not it's sort of like a continuum of force you know of like what you can and can't do the the first reaction is not always to draw a gun it's not always to go to the extreme of like you know uh lethal force right right so how often do you apply like the the martial art part of it versus like what a normal officer would be that that is untrained in those sorts of things that's actually a really good good point a good concept to talk about is police academies do a horrible job preparing somebody who's never been in a fist fight for being in a fist fight mm-hmm. and so that panic factor of um i need to go to a tool on my belt rather can i just solve this with my hands and you see it in over-reliance on tasers. Mm-hmm. My experience with the taser is 60% of the time it works 40% of the time. So it's like never, like I've never, it, if it does um, work, it's temporary or it's on a, someone who's not truly combative as much. Mm-hmm. At least this is anecdotal. I'm sure there's cases where guys get tased and it completely solves the situation. But the scenarios I've been involved with, the situations I've been involved with, doesn't, doesn't really work. Um, case in point, uh, six foot seven Polynesian goes to a Circle K and slaps the teeth out of a customer in the parking lot. I say that because it is funny. Like, I feel sorry for the guy, but they got an argument over a parking spot, and this guy was high and drunk on on meth and alcohol. Mm-hmm. And his response to, "Well, you, hey man, I was going to be my parking spot," was to slap the guy so hard he knocked teeth into the parking lot. So he slapped the teeth out of this guy. 
two officers showed up because mm -hmm. they were going there um, unrelated and saw it happen. Right. They tried to tase the guy. He basically grabbed the taser and says, fuck your taser. What are you going to do now? Yeah. So they call out, a, hey, I need help like now. Uh -huh. Happened to be at the intersection at, at at the stoplight when the call came out. As I pulled in, this the strangest sight I've ever seen. I don't think I'll ever see it again. This guy, I'm pulling in. It's nighttime. My headlights are going into the parking lot. And there is this monster of a human being carrying two cops on his shoulders, walking through his parking lot. And they are wailing on him to no end. Right. And uh, there was a pause, like, okay, is this real? I've never, like, what's happened? What is going on? Like, I've never seen anybody just pick up two cops and so right. carrying them to, like, nothing. Uh, yeah. And that turned into a knockdown, drag out fight that led to unconsciousness and then the guy getting put in custody. Funny thing about that, though, is after he came back to consciousness, uh -huh. uh, I won't get into details how he got unconscious, but after he regained consciousness, uh -huh. he was the nicest person I've ever met. He comes right. to officer, hi, what's going on? Oh, did I do something? Oh, what's happening? Why am I in handcuffs? Yeah. Are you the same monster who's just walking <laughs> through this part? Who are you? Um, strangest, strangest thing. Sorry to go off on that. Yeah, <laughs> no, that, that's great. <laughs> but back to the, the to the point, like, I wish we, logistically, you can't teach somebody 20 years of martial arts experience in a, in a six-month police academy. Right. Um, but having that hands-on, like knowing that yeah, you're going to punch me, is it really going to hurt? Mm -hmm. Like what kind of punch hurts versus what kind is just, you know, like a pawing at somebody. Like, And so then you're not so amped up that, well, then this guy's getting aggressive. Okay, well, he wants to do the man dance. We're going to do the man dance. This is what's going to mm -hmm. happen. Um, you know, somebody cue the music. Yeah. Um, playlist rolling in your head, you know, let the bodies hit the, the floor. floor. Exactly. <laughs> it's just what I was thinking. <laughs> Music goes off. Like, okay, I've, I've done this before. Um, you know, as long as he's not armed with a knife or, or, or a weapon, if he just, let's, okay, bro, you, we're going to fight. What, you know, right. the end result is I will eventually, if you, if you bend up kicking my ass, I've got like 16 dudes that are coming. Right. Like, the end result is the end result, but yeah. like, you don't have to get yourself so wound so tight that you make those mistake of fact errors and draw mm -hmm. a gun instead of a taser right. shoot somebody who doesn't need to be shot mm -hmm. um, but yeah I, I do think that having there's a quote and i'm not sure exactly where it comes from and i've heard it over the years in several different training circles but the reality is the more trained the higher trained an individual is the less likely they are to actually have to use their their skills mm -hmm. um, and that, be, that ends up falling into recognizing pre-attack indicators having a, a higher level of situational awareness mm -hmm. for things that matter, mm -hmm. uh, positioning, putting somebody in positions of disadvantage, seeing body language or cue indicators of somebody might be agitating themselves or looking for an escape route. And so then just cutting it off early, just through mm -hmm. maybe taking a step to cut off that avenue of escape and then redirecting somebody to talk to you mm -hmm. so that they're not thinking they can't actively you can't actively talk and do something at the same time, like do a tactical. We can't talk and shoot at the same time. You can't talk and punch at the same time. It's one or the other, but right. putting those higher skill sets into effect generally reduces the amount of time, you know, for those who aren't truly dedicated or have decided, you know, I'm just going to fight my way out of this. Um, and even then, most of the time, guys that want to fight to get away are trying to get away. Mm -hmm. They're really not, I'm going to fight and kill you. It's, I'm yeah. just trying to get away from you. 
Right. And I tell a lot of new guys, they're like, look, it's it's going to be an eye-opening. I count on one hand a number of times over 18 years that there have been suspects that have wanted to hurt me versus just fight me to get away. Now, I might get hurt in the process, but that's a different story of right. like, I'm sizing you up, badge and gun, be, you know, be damned. It's like, what can I do to you to hurt you? Mm-hmm. If, whether I get away or not is irrelevant to me. My goal is to hurt you. Right. Um, those are rare. Um, mm-hmm. More often is it's the fight to get away. Mm-hmm. Sure, they're punching you. They might be doing something to hurt you, but it's not the same mindset. It's not the same visceral feeling of when somebody's trying to hurt you versus mm-hmm. someone's just trying to get away from the cops. Right. Or escape from you. Mm-hmm. But having, I, I do. I do think that background gives me a little bit more peace of mind when dealing with people and so that I haven't had to go code black, like they say. Right. Yeah, because sometimes I'll be watching the police videos of, of how they react to situations and like at just kind of the first sign of like stress, they're reaching for that, you know, and that obviously is not the best way always to solve that issue. Um, I think that and I don't know how much of this is done like in, in normal police academies and things like that. The whole idea of de-escalation of like being able to talk to somebody and i fully agree that like people who have had previous experience with martial arts or fighting and that sort of thing they're better able to approach those situations more calmly because it's not that big a deal it's like okay if we're gonna fight we're gonna fight and it is what it is right you just you just kind of know that right versus somebody who's never been in a fight and they're so terrified of that idea that they're willing to like go again to something extreme to try to avoid even that minimal, you know, exposure to it. Yeah. It's funny you meant, or not funny. It's, it's interesting that you point out that there's the, um, the tendency to go for the gun for compliance. Mm-hmm. And I like to tell people don't bluff with your gun. Yeah. If I point, if you point your gun at somebody and tell, order him to sit down and he doesn't, you can't just shoot him for not sitting. Down. Right. So why are you pulling your gun out? Because now you have to go hands on and reholster that mm-hmm. in a situation that's already stressful enough that you thought you should pull your gun out and point mm-hmm. it at somebody. Um, I don't like bluffing with things yeah. that you can't do. Like your bluff, to me, a bluff is more of in the law enforcement or in the police world is is just a way to throw you off on mm-hmm. your planning. You know, like yeah, I've got four guys behind this door that are ready to come in if you you know don't calm yourself down. Right. When in reality, my backup's like six minutes away. <laughs> you don't know that. Exactly. That's an appropriate bluff. Right. Um me pulling my gun out and ordering you to sit down when you have no lethal threat. That's a bluff that I can't use. It's, it's not, and a lot of um, gamers guys have been in and out of prison, right? You guys, do I understand corrections, right? Yes, both, both work for corrections. Yeah. yeah. You know, the phrase game, you know, he's a gamer. He's, he knows he's been in and out of the system. He knows what we can and cannot do. Mm-hmm. He knows you can't shoot him for, for not sitting down. Right. And he also can start seeing how scared you are mm-hmm. because guess what? Body language is a two-way street. Yeah. Um, and confidence, back to that whole confidence thing, speaks volumes. Mm-hmm. Somebody carries themselves confidently, somebody that moves confidently, acts like they know what they're doing, looks like they have their shit together, versus somebody who's, I don't care how much time you have on, mm-hmm. looks like a shit show. Right. You, you, There's predator and prey. We have forward-facing vision. Right. We're sizing each other up all the time. Mm-hmm. Um and in the and in the street or in a, in a random encounter, we're doing the exact same thing. I'm sizing up this person as he's approaching me. As I'm walking to my car at night, mm-hmm. 
Why is he walking at me? What's he doing? What am I going to do to reveal his intents before he gets to me? Mm -hmm. If I'm on the street, okay, this guy, I have to contact him because it's a DV situation or something. And mm -hmm. I need to find out what's going on. Or maybe he's the suspect and I already have established probable cause and now he's not free to go. But how do I just run up and railroad this guy? What's this, you know? Yeah. The, the greatest skill I think is talking somebody into a pair of handcuffs um, because eventually you can eventually beat anybody into a pair of handcuffs. Right. But the likelihood of getting injured on both sides goes up. Mm -hmm. And if I can talk somebody into handcuffs, I'd rather talk you into handcuffs. I mean, I'm a big guy, so it's easy for me to say, I'll just beat you into handcuffs. So what's the point? Like, right. if I can just say, hey, man, this, this is what this is, what's it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. You're going to jail. Right. This is it. Like, we're not, this isn't the place for discussion at this point. You yeah. can argue in court later. You can do, meet with your attorney. But mm -hmm. as of right now, the situation is you're going to jail. Right. Sign up, put your hands behind your back. Yeah. Okay. It's either on or it's not. You know, it's, it's, right. he, he can get mouthy. He can contest all you want verbally. Let the stress mm -hmm. out. I'm okay with that. Um, but let me know, you know, I just let you know what's going to happen. So now you're going to let me know what the next steps are. Right. Because I'm just a mirror. I'm yeah. a reflection. If, if you're cool, I'm cool. Mm -hmm. And if you don't want to be cool, well, I, I can. We cannot be cool. We cannot be cool. <laughs> right. <laughs> we have situations like that in, in, obviously, in prison, working with the inmates. Um, it's varying degrees, like having interactions with them. And, and a lot of that, at least for us, because we're dealing with these guys all day, every day. We have built or established some kind of rapport, positive or negative, or whatever that is, you know, but but we have some understanding of who this person is and what we're dealing with, which is a benefit for us. And why I think that our job is less stressful in some regards than officers that are on the street because they're dealing with 100% unknown. They don't know who this person is or what they're capable of, right? Sure. Um, but, you know, one of the things that we do learn to develop over time is like, again, building that rapport and then having those conversations and being able to de-escalate somebody. But occasionally you do get to that thing where, where somebody says, I'm not going to do that. And in the back of my head, I'm thinking, whether you like it or not, it's going to happen. It's going to happen because if it takes six more guys to show up to make it happen, it's still going to. Just let it happen. You know, so it's like, let's just kind of go with this. We don't have to make this a big thing. Let's just deal with the situation. And, and it is what it is, right? Right. So, you know, again, being good at like, communicating i think that's a huge thing is being able to actually talk to somebody in a way that where you're not projecting yourself as an asshole or you know or as an aggressor yeah you know so that you're you're actually elevating that person's you know reaction you know that that in itself is, is a very valuable thing right one of the easiest ways to uh, quote unquote de-escalate or at least establish a baseline of behavior mm -hmm is respect the other person's humanity. Mm -hmm. Like I don't have to respect the crime that you're doing. Like, don't get me wrong. I not too long ago just was involved in a child sex rape case where we arrested the suspect. Mm -hmm. No, no respect for the guy. Right. Right. But when you're dealing with a suspect who's on a con unknown contact, right? I respect your humanity. Mm -hmm. This is going this contact has to happen in some context. Yeah. Let's make it as least violent as necessary mm -hmm. we can have this conversation and move on we can have this conversation and move on mm -hmm. it turns into something where some where rules have to be abided by rules have to be abided by man let's just be men about this right. and then despite all that if you still want to choose the path of because some people just want to see the world burn and that's just the yeah. way it is like there's 
there's no rationalizing with somebody who cannot rationalize, then okay, then I then all my training and all my experience, all everything I've done preparatory to this is going to make sure that I win this scenario safely for me and those involved in the community around us. Right. Um, and that's the important part too, the community around us. Is a lot of a lot of times that's not considered in the context of the one-on-one -on -one confrontation. Right. But every errant round has a name on it. Yes. So you got to be accountable for every shooting at the speed of panic is not a course of action. Correct. Like, so in, in that context, what am I going to do? My driving, I'm mm -hmm. chasing somebody in the, in a community that I know is a lot of kids playing out at five in the afternoon because it's mm -hmm. after school. I still have to take into consideration what's the context of our one-on-one -on -one confrontation is not exclusive. It's not in a bubble. It, the whole world is around us. As it's a TV movie where they're driving like just balls out through streets and nobody's ever out on the sidewalk. Mm. No, you it's, um, I've been involved in a few pursuits and it's, it is absolutely chaos hoping that he doesn't hit somebody and kill him right. uh, before you can get there and stop him. Mm -hmm. the, you know, a vehicle, whatever, however you're going to stop him. Um, but that is, this is a big concern is the community means more. Mm -hmm because they asked us to go do this. So we right. do it right by them. So that kind of gets into a whole other thing of uh, situational awareness. Okay. Kind of on, on two fronts there now. So like there's a situational awareness of an average citizen going through their day of, you know, stop looking at your phone and pay attention to what's going on around you. But, you know, on the law enforcement side of like understanding that whatever interactions you're having, it's affecting more than just like, there are other things that can kind of come into play there. So, this is, so I, spatial awareness, spatial mm -hmm. tactical positioning. These are multi-syllabic multi, multi words, make it <laughs> monosyllabic right. as possible. Putting yourself in the right place for the right moments mm -hmm. is a trainable skill. So one of the ways I address this in some of my training classes is through scenarios, scenario-based training, but without, you don't need a lot of actors for that. Mm -hmm. So I'll set up a room. I have, there's a post I did. You saw that I have like a eight by 11 sheet of paper. It says man, gun, angry, child, um, cell phone, laughing, woman, purse, uh, agitated. Um, and then I'll put on a person, the sign that says man, gun, angry. Um, and you walk into the, or man, angry, cell phone. So you're going for police side of it. It's you're going to a call, just agitate a person, but you don't have any information if there's a weapon involved or not. Right. So the, the trainable skill is, and the, the performance objective, and as well as the observational, um, the, um, the observer's uh, notes is when the person walks in, they scan the room. So you have to read each one of these. You mm -hmm. have to read each person. After, same, same part of the brain is being activated. Right. So child cell phone. Uh, man, angry, agitated, woman, you know, nice. Okay, that's different. So maybe a couple objects in the room or maybe not. Where the key to observe for them is you teach them about positioning mm -hmm. and backdrop. So if this had to turn into something where you have to ballistically deescalate somebody, you don't want your backdrop to be bad. Well, you can consider that right. through the training. And well, the training scenario ends when the person's put themselves in the proper position. Never has to escalate to actually using anything. Because the part that you're evaluating, the part that you're, you're training and studying is, are they reading appropriately what needs to be read and then moving themselves while engaging with somebody in case it did escalate? Mm -hmm. So I'm putting, let's say you're the, you're the actor. So you have one human interactor who's angry, agitated. Everybody in the background, I have to pay attention to. So I 
I sidestep to where I've got nothing behind you, none of those signs. Mm-hmm. Scenario over. Okay, why'd you move to that position? Well, if you decided to go for a knife or gun, I have this distance or this obstacle, but if I had to shoot, I put everybody that was in the background because you have to pay attention to that right. out of my way. Now you can change the scenario from a PD side of it to you're um, coming home or you're going to a park and mm-hmm. same scenario, man agitated knife out of nowhere. There's a guy at a park just angry at having a birthday party. Mm-hmm. Kid, 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 mom, stroller. Position yourself, put a park table in the middle. Now you have to walk. What does that park table give you? Obstacle for him to overcome, mm-hmm. both physically and mentally. Just mm-hmm. I firmly believe like the reason we have a lot of road rage incidents is because there's that physical barrier between us and the cars. Mm-hmm. Whereas if we were standing in line at the customer service at Walmart, you wouldn't say those things to me. Right. So you create that physical barrier, creates a mental barrier, creates a little bit of de-escalation, gives you an opportunity to maneuver and make a decision to either reveal their intent or pull yourself to a better position. Mm-hmm. So that type of tactical decision-making is a trainable skill and knowing that you can put like a lot of times like, well, how do I train for people in the background? Like, how do I, how would I perform? Well, there, there you go. You don't, and what do you need? A couple of eight and a half sheets by paper, a good evaluator, some, a, a good lesson on positioning beforehand, a good understanding, some, for some dry runs on practicing. And then here, let's go into a couple of scenarios, swap some things around, make it harder, make it, make it easier, but force the brain to start problem solving. So I've, all we did was train tactical problem solving positioning mm-hmm. with no weapons. Well, nice. But all of the brain forethought that's necessary to successfully navigate that in real life. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, taking aware of your 360 degree world. Right. Matters. So, another thing that I kind of pulled from the website was the idea that there's plenty of high speed, low drag training, which I love that phrase, um, where people learn really tactical things, you know, door kicking, you know, SWAT type maneuvers like clearing buildings, that sort of thing, which is fantastic. And I would never discourage people from learning those sorts of things. But as you point out, that's not an everyday thing. Most people throughout the course of their lives are not going to be called to a situation where they have to put that to actually use. So, you know, a lot of the training and things that you do is a little more on like what they are more likely to encounter. So that that ties directly into, so the EDC core curriculum is what I call it. So um, right before I get into that, you're right. So when I first started this, a lot of my peers were like, we should just make this PD only, you know, you've taught the vehicle classes, you you do this, why don't you just teach nothing but but these classes? Okay, cool. What about the normal guy? What about the average responsible citizen who needs to take care? The BFTM group drove that philosophy into the STS group on just, because it was average people. It wasn't, you know, a group of my peers who, you know, we trained five, you know, when I was in the specialty unit, we trained together weekly we run operations together we know how to we have the time and resources to delve into building entries uh, rescues and takeoffs and which are which are cool skills that i encourage this is america everybody should be able to learn whatever you want to learn like right. when the atf canceled utms i'm like oh, that's just an agency that needs to go away can we get rid of them already right like, bye-bye no so they definitely don't want citizens training which is just atrocious i think the better trained to you have more trained, where armed citizens, the safer your, your place is going to be, hands down. It's just, right. it's just going to be that way. So I went into uh, developing, taking a lot of my experiences, anecdotal, and a lot of training classes, and a lot of delving into performance athletics and neuroathletics kind of kind of topics. That's what I ended up reading a book called like How 
great coaches, coaching mental excellence. Mm-hmm. So that drove me to the athletic side of it. Then I found Joan Vickers, a quiet eye, force through force science, human performance factors. And I started looking at, well, it's from a curriculum point of view, I came up with the EDC core curriculum. Um, everyday carry, critical operator readiness. Mm-hmm. Everyday carry, everybody knows that phrase. It's in the industry, in the community, in the firearms world, in the preparation world. Everybody knows that EDC carry, EDC. It's just any the skills and the gear that I carry every day for any situation that I might realistically encounter for that day. Mm-hmm. And I like that because it doesn't mean I'm tacked out with a ballistic helmet, night vision goggles, a vest, a battle belt, and I'm going to the grocery store. Right. We're not at that point yet. Yeah. And hopefully we won't ever be because that the fantasy of rolling around in armed troves to go grocery shopping is not a very nice reality. No, not really. <laughs> That's just yeah. Anyways, um, so EDC core, EDCs, everyday carry. Just what can I, what am I carrying on me, um, both mentally and gear wise? Because mm-hmm. the mind is the ultimate weapon. The the gear just supports your objective. Mm-hmm. It doesn't drive your objective. Um, and then critical operator readiness. So I like the word core because um, it starts. It's central. It's fundamental. Mm-hmm. There's a good quote out there by a guy named Matt Thornton. It says fundamentals aren't defined as what's most basic but it's what's most necessary. Okay. And I, that struck a chord with me. He's a jujitsu guy. And I was like, you know, it makes perfect sense. What isn't, it's not the most basic thing. Like fundamental skills aren't just basic. They're what's most necessary. Mm-hmm. If I can't draw my gun and hit a target uh, under my control, just standing still against something that's not moving or trying to kill me, I'm not going to be able to do it when another human being who's as cunning as I am, who doesn't want to get shot like me and is trying to, intently kill me i need to be able to have those skills on demand so four fundamental the mastery of those mastery is a journey not a destination that's a different story mm-hmm. but right proficiency in your core skill sets related to personal security and then i broke core down into to an acronym because acronyms are cool <laughs> critical so at at the Critical just means a decisive moment before something can go either direction. Mm-hmm. So we hear, we can think of critical critical stress incident when a nuclear power plant goes critical, or this it's a, it's at the precipice. It's your the next thing you do determines where this incident goes. So critical, utmost importance. Like this is now happening. We need to address it. Mm-hmm. Operator. All right, everybody loves the word operator. <laughs> um, but you got to say it like. Operator. operator. <laughs> so when I, when I do is a critical operator readiness. Nice. <laughs> Finisher. Um, <laughs> uh, operator. So everybody like operate. It, it goes down to you're your own personal security. You're agent of your own personal security detail. Right. You're in charge of your person. You're like, you're your first responder. You're going to operate your plan, your gear, your equipment. You're the operator. Right. Um, it gets that, and that's all it is. You just operate the piece of equipment. So in your in the EDC core world, it's me, my family, me, my friends, me, my kids. What am I doing? I'm in charge. I'm operating this. We're going to the grocery store. We're going on a family trip. We're going on a road trip. Have I checked all my boxes for this trip? Mm-hmm. Extra, you know, spare tire, flat tire, fix a kit, first aid kits, tourniquets, food, water. You know, just, right. I'm the operator. I'm in charge. Um, and then readiness. Be ready so you don't have to get ready. Right. And put all that together. And the whole 
philosophy behind it is what skill sets, what training, what um, drive, what is the, how do I make somebody who's not an armed professional, like they're not paid to go and solve society's ills. Um, they're going, but they recognize that the police can't get there fast enough, that there's no third party minority report, pre-crime, stop bad things before they happen entity out there. Mm-hmm. So part of understanding that personal security is a personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. What can I do with my limited resources, time, um, ability, mm-hmm. prepare myself. EDC core comes in for that. The whole guiding principle is that is I'm not an armed professional. I'm not a trained, like I'm not working with five, six dudes and we're not rolling in a, you know, a bear cat with armored vehicle or right. a, personal security vehicle with bulletproof glass and doors and fit, you know, no, never flat tires just to go to the grocery store. I'm going to the grocery store. How do I recognize threats? Cause the most important thing you have to be able to do is recognize a threat before you can react to a threat mm-hmm. and where people get caught up. And you see this in security videos in, in real life incidents. When I'm responding to calls, I didn't think, see it coming. Right. I didn't think that could happen to me. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. I don't know what happened. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a failure up to that point of paying attention to what's going on around you. I like to call active situational awareness mm-hmm. because it's proactively making decisions, not just keep your head on a swivel, watch your six, you know, pay attention. What does that mean? What am I looking for? Right. Like what, when, when someone says, you know, keep your head on a swivel. What the hell am I looking <laughs> for, bro? Like I'm on a swivel, but I'm dizzy now. Like, right. <laughs> what was I supposed to be looking for? Because they're not always Hollywood identifiable bad guys right you know like they look like the hollywood identifiable bag that's not how they look most of the time it it could be just somebody looks normal for that area Mm -hmm. what's your baseline heuristic for that you know that region understanding where you are is another key element of uh, edc core we talk about is always know where you're going always have a plan of escape right some key elements that are that i've posted over the years and guidelines or whatnot which i borrowed heavily from a group i was a part of called the moat group Okay. I um, mean, they got to hold us in 19 guidelines, but, uh, and that's just, um, or guidelines that work really good for plainclothes operations. Mm-hmm. So you take those EDC core and that's what drives everything that I do. Um, training wise, all of my fundamental classes, everything is conflict centered for starters. Mm-hmm. So from my very basic pistol class to my CCW class, we do drills, we do, even if it's a non-life fire class, we were doing things to build the right part of the cognitive problem solving brain centers mm-hmm. that you could apply later on. And whether that's a drill in decision-making in my CCW class with, I pre- you know, present multiple decisions to two decisions to timed, understanding the relationship of time and distance and um, how much little time is and what, what a realistic ballistic expectations you should have with one of my the portion at the end of my CCW class talks about uh, handgun ballistics. Uh, I added that in later on after I was dealing with that because people didn't have a realistic expectation of what a handgun does to a human body. Mm-hmm. So I've got a couple of videos in there and, under- and understanding the way bullets stop threats, the four, the four recognized ways, mm-hmm. and then building those skill sets uh, through live fire. Now we're doing fundamental marksmanship and then applying that to conflict-centered, contextually correct um, scenarios. 
Right. So I'm not a big fan of sterile static line drills mm -hmm. um, against a benign target. It just is it's not, it's not, uh, I like, I just did a CC, I call fighting from CCW class in mm -hmm. over the summer. And it's, it's a lot of moving. It's a lot of making decisions on where to go. It's a lot of being accountable for your rounds. Mm -hmm. um, one-handed shooting, a lot of shooting in real life happens one-handed. Right. And a lot of that is because you want to point mm -hmm. or we're moving something. Um, but very few people practice one-handed shooting skills. Right. It's very underrated, underutilized skill set. Uh, red dot occluded optic I'm big on uh, maintaining that threat focus. And so mm -hmm. all of all the way up to my vehicle, um, counter ambush slash CQC class I just did is you're walking up to your car and somebody's approaching you. Let's talk about angles, movement. And then it, if it devolves into a lethal uh, force encounter, then mm -hmm. how do we solve that appropriately with what we have? Because it's going to be a bad situation anyways when you're being ambushed. Right. So, yeah. So the last class that that uh, where I met you yeah. when we we're here, you were using I don't know what they're called, but they're like little lights that they we use for like uh, for Blaze Pods is the company that makes them. Okay. Um. So I, I, I prior to me using Blaze Pods, I was using uh, flags, mm -hmm. like you know penalty flags. Right. And how I would use that is so you have to take time to react to start, you have mm -hmm. to take time to react to finish. So I don't like known round count drills because Who's counting? I'm shooting until until, until the, it either changes shape or catches fire. That's that's where I, that's what I'm shooting for. Um, and I'm, the only reason I'm shooting is because if I don't shoot, then I'm going to die. So my my threshold for when I'm using uh, justifiable lethal force in in a you know society ruled by by laws is that person. If I don't stop them right now from doing whatever it is they're going to do, I'm going to die. So I have to stop them. The quickest way to stop bad guys shoot them in the face. Mm -hmm. uh, until they change shape or catch fire. And if okay. they do catch fire, I don't know, have a cool story. <laughs> uh, so I was I use flags. So I would throw a flag. That's the cue to start shooting. Uh -huh. The cue to stop shooting is a different colored flag. Mm -hmm. A different colored flag for a different, uh, hey, now you're going to lateral to this position. So what I'm doing is I'm playing on the parts of the brain that are should be subconsciously running the shooting program. Mm -hmm. The shooting program should be, I don't have to think about it. Draw, point, shoot. Grip a gun, point a gun, pull the trigger. As Bruce Lee once said, any any idiot can do it. Yeah. Um, the the complex part is reading what's going on, understanding my environment, and making decisions that force the other guy into a, dis into a disadvantage. Mm -hmm. uh, lateral movement or movement in general is an advantage, but maneuver, movement with a purpose is way better. So how do right. you, you know, training maneuvering um, in the sense of it's just not just me running, it's me running because I've made a decision to get to a better position or it forces you conversely, if I run one direction and I can see that there's an obstacle you can't see pony wall and I want to force you to run with me, you're going to trip over that pony wall because you can't see it. You're looking right. at me, right? but that's maneuvering. I'm taking advantage of my, my 3d world and understanding what's going on because mm -hmm. I don't have to think about the shooting skills, the shooting skills are the natural skills. So, um, so the flags would would indicate that. So it's it's a, vis, a visual side, and then it was even if the flag gets thrown while you're doing a reload, if it's not thrown, still go still continue to engage. Um, and what you see a lot is um, it takes time to start, it takes time to stop. When the visual stimulus to start shooting occurs, people have the normal reaction. Mm -hmm. And vision is one of our slower reaction things, anyways, because we talk about sight, 
um, touch and and sound. Mm-hmm. Um, Vision is kind of the slowest because we don't see with our eyes like video cameras. Our eyes are just portals to our brain. The brain is what sees. The eye just is kind of our perceptive filter mm-hmm. um, for bringing in different types of light and light, light waves, which is why it's so easy to trick the eyes with these visual games that I put up on my Instagram. But um, what you'll see is uh, if guys have had a lot of training on doing drills where they draw, fire, reload, and fire two. Mm-hmm. Very common drills, just two after you, don't, you do a reload. I'll throw the, I'll start the stimuli, they'll draw, they'll shoot, they'll get to the reload because I'll run them dry or halfway through another drill. So they only have like six, seven rounds in there anyways. And when counting, so you just, you, you guarantee every shot and you don't know when the stop signal is coming because I don't know how many rounds it's going to take to drop another human being. Right. Um, I've seen, you know, in my ballistics class, I got videos where guys are sucking up 12 rounds before they stop. So you just, you just shoot yeah. and shoot. And I'm not sure you that after the, after the class. Okay. I mean, after we'll talk here but uh so i'll do that and invariably a lot of guys that have a lot of formal training where it's known round count drills and you're doing the hey reload drop fire two and you're done they'll do their reload they'll punch out fire two and they'll come back and i have to get on them like did the, did the signal to stop shooting come through did you see anything that tells you to stop shooting oh go back out because right. we, we train ourselves on a habit of doing something and the brain doesn't care if it's good or bad habit it just does what it's most easy what's most comfortable and easier to do so mm-hmm. i've taken the flag concept and then this company makes these they're from athletics um, for performance athletics and that's being involved in that world as far as like mental performance athletics and how to turn it into skill development is what introduced me to the product and what's great about the product is programmable I can, it's on time i can multi, multiple different color lights Mm-hmm. So uh, what I'll do is I'll set them up and now you're reacting to a photorealistic target and a visual stimuli that's asking you to do something. Mm-hmm. And a good way to to understand that is it's not a simple visual stimuli. Um, we kind of avoid staying into simple visual stimuli. And I do this demo in uh, in that class. I set up the lights, so mm-hmm. everybody has to come up and touch the lights. So they're touched lights too. Right. And I'll do the vi- the simple visual stimuli, where it's just one light. Everybody's super fast with that. Um, like one light, and then the others are different colors. So I'm like, only tap the blue one, and you know you'll get four different colors, but one of them will be blue. Everybody's like 300 milliseconds, 400 milliseconds, because it also measures the time nice. for reaction, which is cool. And then I'll do uh, a drill that requires you to make motor program selection under the time constraint. So it'll be three colors like red, green, and blue. And so green will be you tap it with your right hand, red is you tap it with your left hand, and blue is you clap before you tap it. All the wheels fall off. Train yeah. is right off the track. Everybody fumbles that one mm-hmm. because now it's, you're, you're trying to react before the light goes away because there's a timer on mm-hmm. and you want to get a fast reaction time. But now what I'm asking you to do is pick a motor program based on a visual stimuli that's not mm-hmm. just a simple stimuli. And that's what I try to translate into the way I do my my firearm drills, right. training drills is, excuse me, interleaved training is probably one of the best ways to build skill for long-term retention. Mm-hmm. So you add that little bit of chaos into the application of the skill, mm-hmm. it ends up being better than like a block and silo just go out to a training and you spend all day shooting a build drill. Well, yeah, by the end of the day, your build drill is real good. Three weeks later, your build drill, if you haven't been working on it, probably is going to be like it was at the beginning of the class. Right. For science has a lot of studies on this uh, block and silo training results in very poor skill retention after time. Uh, we're interleaved because 
you're applying the skill to context. Um, you're relying on your ability to build heuristics and pattern recognitions, build schemas for applying. Now just pick up on cues on the problem. Everything else runs uh, in the background, kind of like subroutines. Mm -hmm. And your retention of that skill is longer. Now you still have to maintain practicing in between. Like there's still such a thing as deliberate practice. Right. But deliberate practice in and of itself isn't sufficient enough to build true proficiency in a skill. The example I like to use for that is if I put a bucket over here on the ground and I give you a mister from, you know, like a outdoor mister, mm -hmm. and I tell you, fill that bucket up with that mister. Eventually that bucket will be filled, right? Right. But you and I both know there's a more efficient way to fill that bucket okay. with water. So just throwing rounds at a problem, mm -hmm. okay, you just need to shoot a thousand rounds a day. Eventually you'll fill that bucket up over, over time, but there's right. more efficient ways to fill that bucket up. Mm -hmm. Um, with the same amount of water. So right. that's the training philosophy that guides the EDC core curriculum. And it is 100% focused on the person just going about their daily job. Right. Just, I'm going to the grocery store. I don't want to get robbed in the parking lot. I'm going to the gas station. I don't want to get killed for my credit card. I'm going to the movie theaters. I'm going to, on a family vacation. I'm going on a road trip. Mm -hmm. I'm in my house. I hear a bump in the night. Mm -hmm. That's the whole guiding philosophy and will continue to be the guiding philosophy for um Swarrow training and solutions group eventually yeah maybe i might do some more higher end specialized like le only or that type of classes but mm -hmm. for now the i get a lot of joy in teaching good people how to protect themselves right um, that means a lot to me so yeah um so in the typical class that you have like what percentage would you say is actually uh females to males I've, uh, I've only had like, well, my CCW class, it's almost even in my yeah. classroom only in the hard skills class. It's almost always guys every now and then I'll get one or two, um, uh, women. Mm -hmm. Um, I did have an all women's not by design. Mm -hmm. It just turned out everybody that signed up for it was, was female, uh, right. pistol basic class a, a little bit ago. And, uh, yeah, it was all, so it, it varies. Mostly it's guys. Yeah. Um, that's to be expected. Most men naturally assume it's their responsibility to be the protector provider. Right. And those that are looking to improve those skill sets will do their research or, or see something, you know, a lot mm -hmm. of times it's word of mouth, like a lot of what drives my enrollments is word of mouth. Somebody would take a class and be like, yeah, I, that was a good class. I'm going to go, you should go take it. And then people email me, Hey, when's your next class? And, mm -hmm. um, my training schedule isn't super high tempo because I still I still work full time and sometimes I do overtime and sort you know staffing issues and stuff like that. So schedule when and where I can um, on that on that to that end I should say. Um, and then when those classes do come, people do sign up. And right, that's just the way it works. I don't have I'm retired a little bit here. Uh, that's going to amp up because I have more free time. Right. <laughs> And no obligation. I'll fulfilled my oath, did my 20 years and been done. Yeah. And that's something that's driving me to the end. I said, yep, I'm going to do this. 20 years is my obligation. And then my, my obligation is done. I can focus on other things. Right. So, uh, part of the reason why I ask that is because I'm, I'm always curious to find out like where the interest, I mean, obviously for me, it's just more of a natural thing. They just generally tend to be more interested in firearms and training and you know, uh, combatives, that sort of thing where women aren't necessarily. Um, 
but I think that it's extremely important for them um, because in so many situations, not, and this is across the board, it isn't because you're a man or woman, when a situation happens, you're it, you're, you're your own first responder, right? So, you know, if you're not prepared to deal with the situation, and especially in our society like now where there are so many like single mothers, okay, now you're responsible not just for you, but for your children, you know? So if you don't know how to take care of yourself, if you don't know how to have at least some kind of background in self-defense, how to use a firearm, you know, create an action plan of like, if something does go sideways, what are we doing? You know, how do we get out of this situation? How do I protect my kids? You know, these are all incredibly important things. And I think that they need to become a bigger part of this community. I agree. You know, because it's just as important for them as it is for everybody else. 100%. Men naturally are the, are the protectors. That That's a given. Okay. But in the absence of men, they got to be able to stand up and do it, you know? Well, that's, so, um, that's something I really, so some of my, a lot of my private lessons are, are, are women, mm -hmm. um, elderly and single moms. Mm -hmm. The women that have taken my other classes have either been in their early 20s, uh, single mothers that bring their teenage daughters with them, right. um, or what we call grandmas, older, old, old, elder, older women, uh -huh. um, elderly women, actually, not older women, elderly women. Um, I don't have, other than my CCW, because I have not had a lot of married wives, like just they're a, a couple decide to come in. Mm -hmm. um, and that may be just culturally, they assume, well, the, the, my husband's taking the class, so I don't have to show up. Right. But those that are alone, um, mm -hmm. they're single, single, young, young, young single women, uh, single moms with teenage daughters or elderly women that are, widow, are widows mm -hmm. is what I've had a lot of. Um, and it's funny, that's not funny. It's interesting to note that. Mm -hmm. um, Maybe we need a cultural shift where, okay, yeah, I'm the guy, I'm the one supposed to protect and provide, but I'm not with my wife 24 seven. Mm -hmm. And maybe the, you know, the wife needs to understand, well, my husband's not with me 24 seven or my partner. Mm -hmm. 2023, it could be anything. Um, he's not with me all the time. Right. And I need to be able to protect myself so I can make a home to them at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And it's not that we're trying to say it's always the victim's fault if they can't protect themselves. Right. Um, but there is a little bit of personal responsibility when you understand that your person, that your security is 100% up to you. Right. Um, I, like, I like saying safe is a feeling and doesn't have a meaning. Like what's safe? You could feel safe and be in a completely insecure area. Right. Or unsecure area. But I feel safe. Gun-free zones. I feel safe in a gun-free zone. You're not in a safe environment, like a, a true secure environment. Right. So don't be safe. Be dangerous. Yeah. So then you can take that with you everywhere you go. It doesn't matter what the environment is. You're that barrier, that provider of danger, security mm -hmm. for those around you. Right. Whether they feel safe or not, doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Some people will never feel safe because, you know, maybe we haven't evolved past the hamster mindset in that person. Right. Not a negative to them. They're just, we need, we need good, gentle people. There's not everybody can go out and be a, you know, a meat eater, Tyrannosaurus Rex, just chewing up everything in front of it because that's just right. not the way we're built as, as people. There's, yeah. takes all kinds. Mm -hmm. um, but it's okay to harm the sheep too. Mm -hmm. And if the sheep understands, you know what? Dog's not always going to be there to protect me. Mm -hmm. It's good if I have my own gun. Maybe I can stop the wolf. Right. Or buy myself enough time to escape the wolf is equally as important. Right. Being able to delay and, and extricate is a win. Yeah. But it's still a win. And when you get to leave and make it home, you, you've won. Mm -hmm. It's not always we're going to stand toe to toe and punch each other until we both get punch drunk. 
Right. You know, at some point I have to make a tactical decision. Where's my avenue to stop this to get away? Like, it's, yeah, I need to and eventually, you know, we like to talk about, I'm going to shoot the guy until he gets fire and change his shape. Yeah. Sometimes it may be, I've shot the guy enough. There's maybe more than one. I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to protect, I've got kids with me and I don't want my kids taking errant rounds. Right. Um, there's a tragic story out of California years ago, off duty cop taking his kids, circle K two armed robbers come out. He's got a, five shot revolver on him because you know i gotta handle business goes to shoot at the bad guys the bad guys shoot his kids they flee wow. he runs out he's got five rounds in his five shot revolver later on they get caught and they said yeah we shot at his kids because we were hoping it would take it would stop him from shooting at us things you got to consider right like right sometimes just avoiding it all together is the better better yeah. decision you know you can be super high trained but um the day chooses you and Mm-hmm. Your best, we win everything we can avoid. That includes extricating from, right? And that's a win. So, so just on that note, how do you feel about revol- people who use revolvers as their primary self-defense? I rev- so this is going to be this is going to be a rabbit hole. Okay, <laughs> the gun is the tool, the man is the weapon. Right. So, and what I mean by that is, people we those that are like I'm only going to carry a revolver have forgotten that. A weapon has is a tool in the toolbox. Right. I picked the tool for the job. Mm-hmm. Um, the revolver is not. There isn't one gun solution for any any problem out there. Right. But we like to wrap ourselves around that. We like to get well. I've got this Glock with this accessory with this part. I got this 2011 with this optic and this you know Magwell. I got this. It's it's it's, it's a tool in a toolbox. Pick the tool for the for the for the problem. Mm-hmm. If I'm wearing a heavy jacket and I can't access my in the waistband, either appendix or, or four o'clock, three o'clock um, holster, a snub nose J frame in a pocket is an absolute game changing tool. Right. That's where I carry mine. Uh, if, mm-hmm. I, if I have a pocket in a jacket or a sweater, mm-hmm. I don't have to draw it. I can shoot from inside my sweater. Right. Um, and this has happened in real life gunfights. There's videos of two guys are talking to other guys, he's got his hands and he just shoots the dude. Right. Don't take my word for it. it it's a great tool. Is it? The best tool, only tool, you got to pick one you're using it for. Ankle gun and backup, great, great gun for that. Mm-hmm. Primary in a jacket on a cold day, J-frame, no hammer, you know, hammerless, perfect. Um, only gun I'm going to carry on me when I have options to carry something with more capacity or the ability to reload. And the ability to reload, I want to harp on that, is not, I don't carry like, Two magazines, or you know, two seventeen round magazines, because I expect to shoot thirty four rounds. Right. My gun takes a dump on me. The most mm-hmm. common reason for that is a magazine, right? Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna get out, get rid of it, and go to my new mag. I can't do that if I only have one mag. Right. I end up trying to have to rely on one mag um, gun refunctions. If it's a magazine problem, I'm I'm basically turned myself into a bolt gun gunfighter with a pistol. Right. As I'm taking incoming fire, which always has the right away, so I'm moving. I'm trying to fix my gun. Dump it, move, make your maneuver, get your gun back up yeah. in the fight. So the revolver, I love revolvers. They're just a, a tool in the toolbox. It depends on what I'm doing. If I'm out in the woods, mm-hmm. it's hard to beat a big bore revolver as, right. a, as a woods gun. But that's for non-human threats. Yeah, yeah kind exactly. Of, still got my uh, either my Glock or my 2011 or whatever gun I mm-hmm. um, have chosen for that role. If I'm wearing a suit and high and I can't carry a big staccato somewhere because it's, you know, suits coming off or whatever. 43 X in a, in, in, you know, inside tuckable waistband or something. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Glock. You know, there's there's so many options, and not just not just you know, I'm saying Glocks, cartridges. Those are common, right? Common. You know, you you have your anybody can carry whatever. My only my only requirement for the gun is it has reliability cannot be sacrificed in any way, shape, or form. Right. That's all. Everything else is bells and and I'm a, and I am a fan of tricking your gun out as much as you can mm-hmm. without ever sacrificing reliability. Right. Uh, cheat. All gunfights are open division, so do whatever you need to do. Yeah. So. I don't know. <laughs> to answer about the revolvers, it's it's yeah. yeah. I like revolvers. Um, I love them, but understand, you know, limited shot capacity, mm-hmm. round capacity, um, yeah, and horribly slow to reload quickly while moving. Right, and that's the key thing. Is you should always be moving. If you're, if you're not moving, you're doing something wrong. Yeah. Um. So a couple things on that. I. uh I love revolvers. I think that they're beautiful weapons. I think they're the, the nostalgia that's attached to them going all the way back to like old cowboy style pistols, you know, that's amazing. But the, just the logistics of it, it's much easier to fire a weapon that has 17 rounds in it and know that you're not going to have to reload after five shots. And even when you do the reloading is so much faster and more efficient, oh, yeah, Absolutely. you know, now if you're Jerry Mitchell, like, that's a whole other thing. I've watched videos of him like, yeah unload and reload a weapon as fast as I can, or as anybody I've ever seen. A uh, fast a lot of people can know, do a semi-auto. Yeah. It's, you know, and it's pretty amazing, but unfortunately not everybody's at that skill level. So, well, and you that's know. in a controlled environment. Yeah. I mean, sure. He's still going to be fast no matter what he does. Right. But that's, I know the video, the eight reload eight, and he does it in like a second or something. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's ridiculously fast. Yeah. Um, But it's, it's a, a close skill like in a, in a closed right. environment um and you're right so take that even somebody as good as him and put him now he's got to run because he's getting shot at and he's trying to shoot somebody he's still going to be fast but nowhere near as fast as dump a mag insert mag send slide forward right return you know return to business i got to make it catch fire or change shape so i'm still you know objective you know objective still not cleared you wait for that checkbox right. to go off in your video game mm-hmm. so no, I like I said, it's a tool in the toolbox. It's got they have places. Um, I don't re- generally recommend them for your primary. Like the only gun you're going to carry on you right. is a revolver. Um, not generally, mm. not not recommended. Then again, you know it, it does come down to what's the only gun that they have. They can't buy one if they right. inherited. Okay, well we'll we'll do what we can. Yeah. Um, maybe go pawn it and buy a Glock. <laughs> it's a family heirloom. Yeah. Okay, save up. It's okay, like, it's gonna, like, like to buy that gun. No, no, you're not patient enough to buy that gun. Right. That's what it boils down to. Mm-hmm. And people are like, well, you you have all this money, you're buying all this. No, 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 no. I'm just financially irresponsible. Don't don't look to me for guidance here. Right. So um of the people that you've had like go through your training courses, do you get a lot of like of I'm guessing you don't get a lot of like emails saying, Hey, I actually got to put this into practice today and talking about like the situations that they've been in. But, um, so the actual shooting of a person, no, Mm -hmm. but I have received a lot of feedback of, Hey, your active situational awareness training, threat recognition training, and then your proactive decision-making I put into practice and I've seen it and I've used it and it's revealed things. So one of the things I like to teach is, I'm walking to, you're walking to your car, you're in parking lot, coming out of the Walmart, whatever. Mm-hmm. See somebody just doesn't seem right to you. Cause you scan the parking lot before you walk, stop, look, listen, smell. 
before I start walking, I just take a quick look because there may be a, a, a purse snatching happening right next to me and I step out and get ran over because the getaway car is trying to go away. Right. It has nothing to do with me. Like I'm not the target of that, but I'm going to be the the victim of that incident. Right. You know, un, unexpectedly. So I always say, hey, just cost you nothing. Two seconds, scan the parking lot. Does anything immediately go, hey, that doesn't fit because the, our brains are very efficient. This doesn't feel right machines. Mm-hmm. Um, we start to lose it if we start living more in denial, but that's a different, that's a different story. So take a look. Okay. Well, why is that guy standing in my car? He looks weird. Something's not right. Um, I used to teach it was masks, but people wear masks nowadays. So it's not really a big clue. Yeah. Big jacket in hot, in a hot Arizona summer. That might be a clue. Does that mean immediately draw down and go, what are you doing in my car? You're probably going to go to jail for that. Right. I mean, you just agasol and you just threaten somebody or whatever. Well, no, but if it gives you cause for pause, do something about it. Mm-hmm. Don't ignore it. Okay, that's weird. I'm going to walk this next aisle over away from my car. Mm-hmm. What does it cost me? Two seconds this way, another two seconds to come across. Okay, now he switches aisles. Okay, that's weird. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put vehicles between me and, and, and do another, a third movement. At this point, he's gonna, he has to reveal or disengage. Because when you're doing counter surveillance, when you're making, when you make four right turns, eventually somebody's following you. Yeah, right. And we just went in a circle around this block. What you, you didn't go anywhere. Yeah. And make, you know, the, the fifth turn is the clue that hey, this guy's followed me for four right turns. Something's not right. right. So third one, come back to a different angle. Put something in between you, shark, um, car, carts, a car, something you can see over. Something gives you angles of advantage if you had to move. Um, something that acts as either cover or concealment, mm-hmm. and. I have a whole thing about cover and concealment, something access concealment uh, visually. And then at that point, Hey, what are you doing, man? Can I help you with something? What do you want? Like, I'm not interested in buying whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Well, now he knows, you know, you make an eye contact, I'm not being rude. I'm not being, but I'm letting you know, I see you. I know what you're doing. You're following me. What can I help you? What's going on? Right. He's got to make a choice. If he's, if, if you're the target, he's, he's going to do something. If you're not the target, he's going to disengage. If he was looking for a target of opportunity, he's going to change targets because now he can't catch you unawares. Mm-hmm. And he knows that by the fact that you followed and made these decisions, he just lost those little chess maneuvers. Subconscious, he doesn't know. You know he, he's playing checkers or we're playing chess. Mm-hmm. He didn't know that. Right. And that's the way you want it to be. Like, I checkmated you because you were jump, too busy trying to jump, you know, Oreo cookies or something. Yes. Um, and then so those kind of scenarios were recognizing, you know, not hugging walls and not walking around blind corners. Like people mm-hmm. say, yeah, I was... Uh, taking a blind corner. I took two steps away from it and it, I wasn't attacked, but there was a homeless guy standing right there with a sign that would have scared the crap out of me if I'd walked and turned the corner. But because I saw it coming, Kate taking a wide angle, you know, things of that nature. If I people right. come back to me and say, yeah, I've used, I've applied these things. The um, alternate, I always teach alternate, no alternate routes of uh, travel before mm-hmm. you go somewhere. Plug in your address. Google maps will always give you three total routes. Put them in the back of your head. Accident happens in front of you. Police situation happens in front of you. You don't want to get stuck in the middle of traffic in a place you may not be familiar with. Mm-hmm. You already know how to bounce out and take a different alternate route and get where you're going. Even if you lose cell coverage at that point, in the back of your head, you should have already pre-planned. So rule number one, always know where you're going. Okay. Um, kind of thing. So those those I've had come back and mm-hmm. people tell me that they're applying. And that to me is important because that's part of the whole EDC core. It's not just, not everything becomes a gunfight. Right. Um, now we train for the gunfight because that's the ultimate expression of things have gone exceedingly bad. Right. Um, or a knife fight, you know, either a lethal force encounter mm-hmm. is the ultimate expression. Is like, okay, things are, this is as bad as it's going to get in my world. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, because either I'm dying or that guy's dying. So somebody's dying. But everything around that, those mm-hmm. are the other skills that you never know how you know, how many gunfights you avoided right. uh, by making a good tactical decision um, in your environment. Mm-hmm. So those I have heard, I've had students get back to me and say I've applied that. I've had a lot of my PD students. So I have a lot of cops take my classes for their off-duty stuff. Um, but then they, they've come back with success stories of stuff they've used on patrol. Mm-hmm. based on what I've taught in my EDC classes. That's good. Um, and so that's, I'm always happy to hear those stories because mm-hmm. it tells me, you know, it's like the barometer or the right. meter of I'm in the right, I'm in the right zone here. Like what I, what, because it, it's universal. It's just human performance factors. It's human behavior. It's context. It's um, rec- threat recognition, you know, avoiding a state of denial. You can apply it. You know, the body language of I'm going to hurt you is the body language of I'm going to hurt you. Mm-hmm. Change, change the location, change the uniform, still the body language of I'm going to hurt you. Right. Um, and so seeing, hearing those stories coming back of I did this because I learned it in your class and it saved, you know, gave me this opportunity to see something. I didn't walk right in and get ambushed or I saw this and I made the guy, you know, I don't know if he was going to do anything, but he he, he didn't because I called him out on it, mm-hmm. made, the, made the decision. Okay, cool. Yeah. I love those stories. Right. Because um, it's, that's what I, I post, you know, some of my uh, reviews as people will come back and be like this. They like it. And I do it for the students, not for right. me. Because like I've said in like the end of my bio on the on the webpage, mm-hmm. you know, I could sit up there in the beginning of my class. I could sit up there and talk about how cool I am and how all this stuff I've done this and all this experience I've done that. In the day, it doesn't matter if I can't teach you the same skills. If I'm a horrible teacher, it doesn't matter how good I am in, in, in the world. Like, right. Um, and that was unfortunately something I realized taking, I've taken a lot of classes from other people and there's some really good people at what they do, but they can't teach. Right. And I, I learned nothing from the class, not to the the malicious fault of the person. Like it's mm-hmm. not there. I don't think there's a lot of maliciousness. There is some probably like knowingly doing bad stuff just to earn a dollar probably out there. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, most guys involved in this industry are trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, sometimes the old, standard block and silo isn't the right way to do it. Um, or they're just not that good of a teacher because they didn't do a lot of instructor development personally, mm-hmm. um, or they're just doing what the way they were taught in the army military police Academy. And it comes right. across that. And something I've learned is you cannot teach Mr. Accountant mama bear with her teenage daughter, mm-hmm. the same way you can teach a police recruit or a military guy. Right. Um, or you can't, you can't use that, that environment. All right. You missed that's 20 burpees not happening. Can't do that. One, no one will ever take your class ever again. Right. And two, you might get sued because you heard, you know, somebody threw a, you know, something out of it. But yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like you, there's no punishment. I can't okay, everybody. It's okay, miss. So you're all doing planks. Yeah. Yeah. Look with that. Mm-hmm. Not in the not in the environment where people are paying you for a product mm-hmm. that not that they have, you know, they get to demand what's happening, but the the product has to be salient has to be transferable to their world mm-hmm. um, and there are not a lot of order takers in the civilian world like we do that in military law enforcement because there's still a structure of command right your sergeant you know it's the order taking side of it is, is you know hey i need you to do this because if you don't do what i'm telling you to do right now people may get hurt or the or the plan that's in motion may fail mm-hmm. same reason hey, i need you to take perimeter on that side because if you don't the bad guy may get out so you have to take perimeter if you're you know or you're going to be part of this immediate action team. So 
order taking is less a thing in, in the in law enforcement, but it still mm-hmm. exists. So that that's why that environment's there is to right to you can't really it doesn't really translate well to going to the grocery store, you know, and I get robbed in the parking lot. I got you. Or something like that. So so when you're when you kind of reach the end of like the law enforcement career, like you're saying you're gonna do the 20 years and then kind of move on, do you have uh you have kind of like a plan about like what you're going to do with SDS as far as like advancing it in. Um, so what, what kind of ideas you have on that? Well, my, my training schedule is going to get quadruple. Okay. So there'll be more frequent classes than there are mm-hmm. right now. Um, and more different and diff- various di- in different types of classes. So right now I'm limited. I keep it limited to fundamental handgun fighting from CCW fundamental carbine fighting carbine and optics uh, fighting optics carbine class. And then uh, a CCW class, a home home self defense CQB class, and a vehicle CQC class um, that don't involve any live fire. So I got three live fires and, and a handful of of live fire classes. Um, they're kind of limited in scope, though. You, you you can't really come into the advanced. I say advanced. It's just fluid application of fundamental skills. Mm-hmm. If you can't apply those fundamental skills fluidly, you're going to really struggle in class. Mm-hmm. Um, simply because accuracy is the highest standard. And if you can't hit your target, it's going to make you feel bad. Everybody's going to be looking. It just won't be a very good conducive learning experience because I firmly believe that during your learning experience, you should be building confidence through it. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to say build confidence rather than avoid anxiety. So the better I can get at myself and the more successes that I build incrementally, increase my my confidence in myself, lowers my stress level, because I'm confident in my skill level, my stress level lowers. I'm able to actually see more of what's going on, and make better decisions. Right. So I try to I try, I try to build on that. So just an expansion of of those classes, more vehicle classes, uh, more home home classes, um, more scenario based classes, um, and then uh, more team based two person, two to three person, CCW counter ambush uh, classes. Oh, nice. So like my CCW counter uh, fighting skills right now is single person. Um, there's a little bit of, we use, I use a dummy, like push this person out behind you and engage a plate rack and take a hostage shot at 15 yards. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pushing my loved one away. Now I have to fight one handed, mm-hmm. um, but now we integrate somebody else with you, a spouse or a best friend or a son or some adult that can fight. And now how do we make our best use of, we're both walking up to our car and this guy just, he picked the wrong two people. Yeah. Uh, and that's the way it should be. Hey, the bad guy's picked us. That's his, that's his ultimate worst decision he's ever going to make. Potentially his last. Right. Um, but how do we get to that level, right? So mm-hmm. those, the goal of um, STS group, Soil Training Solutions group. Upon my, you know, when I have, when I retire and I'm done with my 20 year commitment, there is just pushing forward more EDC core cl- uh, courses to build better um, skill sets and citizens. Mm-hmm. That are their own first responders. Right, sounds like a really good thing. I firmly, I, I say it to, I never stop saying it. The better there's training, there's untrained. Uh-huh. Okay, and you can't imagine yourself to a high level of proficiency in the middle of an event. It just mm-hmm. there's no combat fairy that comes in and bonks you on the head, fairy godmother, and all of a sudden you're John Wick. Right, it doesn't happen. Um, and you don't rise to the level of your training. You fall back to the highest level of training you maintain proficiency with. Mm-hmm. So I like to say, you know, train often. Mm-hmm. I could go take one 
three-day advanced combat, you know, Navy SEAL, night vision, UDT, one course. If I never do anything with that ever again, I'm never going to be able to do it a year later. Right. I take my CCW classes and I, I keep up my proficiency. I do the, the dry fire drills that are built towards maintaining that cognitive problem solving and skill application. Then I'm always able to do that on demand, drop mm-hmm. off a hat. Because I don't pick the date and time, right? The bad guy does. And everything we do, the bad guy has a vote. Yes. He's another, you know, he's another human. I like to say it's another cunning and capable human being. Mm-hmm. It doesn't want to die or get shot just like you. Right. The difference is the motive behind the action. Mm-hmm. So for, I was like, how would you fight you? Great. And then I go, oh, I'm dead. <laughs> it's over. Um, it's going to be a long, nasty fight. Yeah. But that's what you should be preparing for. The highest level of person you could possibly imagine is is you because you can only use, you have no control over who the bad guy is going to be. You only have control over if you're better today than you were yesterday. Right. So that gets into the, the clone theory. So if somebody made an exact clone of you and they said, okay, 24 hours from now, you're going to fight to the death, you know, which one is going to survive? It's it's going to be the one that is continuing to the change. One that in that 24 hours does something yeah. prior to that. That's right. Yeah. Every little bit of, a little bit, a lot is better than a lot done infrequently. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's one of the core, I, the core tenets. I got to do good, train often, be humble. It's on everything I did. That's just the kind of the guiding life philosophy. Right. I'm not doing good. I'm just avoiding trouble, making right decisions. I'm not hurting people. I'm doing good by by me and my family. You know, taking care of my circle, my tribe, my people. Training often, because firearm skills, technical, tactical skills are like milk. They go bad if you don't use them. Mm-hmm. Um, not like riding a bicycle. Like you ride by, you can jump on a bicycle later. What people forget about that analogy, by the way, though, is you were riding a bike for how many years as a child, right? Right, right. Like you have 10 years of bike riding. Of course, you could pick it up later and jump on it, right? Yeah. Um, now, if I if you change your controls on that, you can't do anything. There's a good video about that. I posted on my Instagram not too long ago. I'll probably repost it. Um, and then uh, be humble. And that doesn't mean be a victim or, or not stand up for yourself. That's just we're humans. My, I don't know your story, your life challenges, your expert, what struggles you've been through. So I can't apply my judgments upon you. So I'm just going to stay in my lane. Mm-hmm. That's what the be humble is. It's not like, oh, there'll be this quiet little meek thing. No, no, it's, I understand the humanity that I have. I understand the humanity you have. I'm not passing any judgments. As long as mm-hmm. you're not trying to hurt me, I'm not going to try to hurt you. Right. I'm staying humble. There you, you go. Know, doing my thing. So. So. And I know that you said a lot of the people that uh, come to the courses are like word of mouth, mm-hmm. but what is the the best way for them to like to discover what you've got going on when the classes are and that sort of thing? My Instagram, mm-hmm. Twitter, Rex is when I post cor- course dates mm-hmm. and then my webpage. My webpage I'm revamping right now. So I'm really not happy with the the service provider or the, okay, I'm not a tech guy. So like right. internet stuff. I'm pre-Google, so the web page people that I'm using, right? I don't like the way the class signups are. Okay. They're they're too confusing. Like they work and no one's really complained about it, but I have had out of hundreds of students, I've had two complaints. That's too much for me. Okay. So and then when I look at it, it's just technical HTML mumbo jumbo. And I'm like, if it's not simple enough to where I get if nobody like the way I view it is 
there should be zero complaints on how easy it is to sign up for that class mm -hmm. on the date that I'm offering it because I don't do like 17 classes mm -hmm. and it's not that easy. So I have to, I'm working on making that easier and simplifying it. So right now it's just email. Mm -hmm. Send me an email. I'll send an invoice. We'll get you locked into the class. Um, a lot of my classes, I give a lot of free material out. I've written a few little student books that I include with my classes um, that you get to take home and you do whatever you want with. They're mm -hmm. reminders, they're study materials, they're about 19 pages, nothing too crazy, but they are right. little books that I've written. Yeah. So that, and then you get those in the emails and I give out. One of my favorite part of my classes, I like my certificates. I think they're fancy. Uh -huh. I like fancy certificates. They're foil, they're stamped, they're printed, they're mountable. You click. Right. You know, like you have your PhD in, in, you know, nuclear bombs. That's great. But did you get your CCW certificate from yeah. the SDS group? Yeah. That looks way cooler. Right. So <laughs> nice. Yeah. That's so. the uh, email webpage and the Instagram right now are the best ways to keep track of what's coming up. Awesome. The other thing is uh, my Instagram. I put a lot of free information out there. I'm always mm -hmm. um, probably more than people have told me. We should probably not put that free information out. Make them pay for it. At the end of the day, I'm not going to get rich doing this. Right. Um, and I prefer a better armed community. Yeah. So that's not to say I'm going to you know, starve doing it, but right. yeah. it's, uh, it's out there and there's a lot of free stuff. And I'm yeah. expanding what's going to be available online as well. So I think that most of the people that I've met, in fact, all of the people that I've met in this community that teach classes, whether that's uh, firearms instruction, whether it's uh, stop the bleed classes, you know, tactical movements, night vision, like any of those kinds of things, right? They all, obviously, they're doing this. This is their job. This is the, they make money and I make a living, right? Or they do it on the side, something, whatever, you know. But the underlying principle of what they're trying to get across and the reason why they're doing this is a much more altruistic idea of we're trying to make people safer. We're trying to get people better prepared and better trained. And so, yes, you do have to pay for the class because we got shit to, we got to do too. You know, we got to pay our bills just like everybody else. But ultimately, we're doing this to help other people. That's the whole point. It's the point of this podcast, you know, is to like help, you know, people learn something that they didn't know before and hopefully come and take more of these classes and get better prepared so that they're not victims. You yeah. Know? Well, that's <laughs> what I liked about the name of the, the podcast. It's not don't be a victim or. Like it's somebody's fault for being, it's just, it's non-victim. Yeah. I've made the decision or the responsibility or the realization that I'm not a victim. I mean, I may be victimized of something, but I'm not a victim. Right. I'm a non-victim mm -hmm. in, in this party that we're playing. Cue the music. There you go. <laughs> All right. So on that note, we'll go ahead and end there. It was fantastic to have you come in. Wow. It was good to see you again. Yeah, it was good to see you too. You know? And it was uh, great. I'm, I was not gonna lie, super nervous coming in. Like I've never done a podcast. Right. I don't feel feel weird in front of video. That's a skill I'm trying to overcome or work on and yeah. make better videos so that people can watch up the can of ten. But mm -hmm. um, you made it super easy. So thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, we'll have to have you on again sometime. All right. Thank Take you. care. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Also, you can now support the Non-Victim Nation by donating via listener support directly on Spotify. Remember, the story of your life is being written right now, and you are the hero.